Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisden T20 World Cup daily podcast. Afghanistan almost pulled off a stunning heist against Australia, but still did England a net run rate favour by pushing the host to the wire, while New Zealand became the first team to book their place in the semi-finals with a comfortable win over Ireland. With me to discuss both those games are ESPN Cricket Info's Matt Roller and Wisden Cricket Monthly Editor-in-Chief Phil Walker. Matt, that at the end from Rashid Khan was something special, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And it kept um, Afghanistan's hopes very much alive and sort of um, by proxy Sri Lanka's as well, because Sri Lanka were relying on Afghanistan to beat Australia to have a a chance of getting through. And there would have been a point, I don't know where they were watching it, um, presumably some hotel somewhere in Sydney, where they would probably have been jumping up out of their seats and thinking they had half a chance. I think Um, Australia obviously needed to win and win as big as they could. and there was a point when Afghanistan lost, I think, four for four, where it looked as though they were on course to actually, um, you know, if Afghanistan had properly collapsed and Australia could have put themselves in a position where England had a bit of scoring pressure tomorrow beyond what they'll have in the game itself. Um, as it happens, um, Rashid couldn't quite get them over the line, but I suppose it did invite questions as to why why Afghanistan have used him um, sort of so low down the order in this World Cup. I think he was coming in at number eight today and, uh, you know, while he he might not be the best player of spin, I think it, he's he's clearly a pretty destructive guy, and it feels like um, when you have a superstar like him on on your in your squad, um, especially you know playing his sort of adopted home ground as well at the Adelaide Oval, where he knows the dimensions pretty well, um, maybe he was a little bit wasted down the order. Uh, yeah, a weird one because I guess Afghanistan have had an unlucky tournament on the whole with the two washouts. They will have come here, you know, well, they've come here wanting to, you know, make the semis win the whole thing. But to not get one win at all is quite quite a disappointment, really. And I guess they will be frustrated, especially having got so close, I suppose. Yeah, and I think I think particularly um, having sort of flickered a little bit at the last 
T20 World Cup. I think there was there was a point in their game against Pakistan in the last T20 World Cup where they were really um, in the game and probably favourites at one point before Asif Ali sort of memorably hit um, a load of sixes uh, right at the death to win the game. But um, I think across the last two World Cups, given the experience that some of their more uh, you know some of their senior players have got playing around the world in a variety of different conditions, given the number of their players that have played a lot of cricket in the Big Bash, for example. Um, I'll probably be relatively disappointed to be leaving without a win. But um, yeah, it, it feels like they probably more so than anyone else in the tournament, I would say. It feels like they've been screwed over completely by the weather. I think, um, you know, to have played one game in Perth and then had, I think, 10 game, ten days until their next game, it was never really going to um, suit. And particularly when, you know, it, it's one of those strange things about the format, actually, is that they probably weren't particularly well served by the fact that they went into that game against England quite cold. So in a strange sense, by qualifying automatically for the Super 12s, it meant that they had a lot less relevant match preparation heading into this tournament than they would have done if they if they um, come first or second in their uh, preliminary group and come through as a result of that. So, yeah, I, I feel as though they'll, they'll probably, probably be uh, ruining a, a missed opportunity in this tournament. I don't think they were necessarily... Um, many people's tips to reach the semi-finals, but I think they they promised a little bit more than they ended up delivering. But um, we'll also feel yeah mugged off by the rain. I think mm. Phil, I think that might be the longest we've gone in a podcast without before coming to you. It uh, felt good though. Yeah, it's, it's it's so so refreshing to have someone on the show who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> let, let, let's ask you something anyway. Uh, what me me this time? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Right, lovely, so yeah. Australia made three changes this game. Uh, Aaron Finch and Tim David both injured. And if they do make the semis, that will obviously be something that comes into into play then. But they left out Mitchell Stark and picked Kane Richardson instead. And this Didn't is work know, out for them. No. Uh, what what did you make of the call, I guess, at the time? And do you think in hindsight, if they do make the semis or who'd be straight back in, do you think? Well, you know, cards on the table. When they did make the call, I was sound asleep in bed. Okay. Uh, when they made the actual decision. Uh, to not play Mitchell Stark against um, Afghan's hitters to me, is a peculiar decision. Uh, I like Kane Richardson as a, as a bowler a lot. It felt a little bit medium-fast in the slot for me. Um, and to those short, wide boundaries, uh, Rashid in particular climbed into him, made him look, look a bit of a mug, to be honest, this, this, this morning. Uh, overall, watching Australia, there was a strange sort of melancholy around the whole setup. And listening to the commentary as well, Michael Clark was doing his best from that peculiar position that they have now with, with, with one of the commentators down at pitch level at deep mid-wicket. And he was desperately trying to convince himself that there was great jeopardy at play here in this game. But that you could get that sense that they on the pitch they were wrestling with themselves. They know, as Ponting acknowledged a couple of days ago, that they only have themselves to blame to, to have got themselves in this position, to have got beat so heavily... And then to have somehow let slip that Ireland game when Ireland were 20 for five to get Ireland up to a respectable defeat, which would have really helped Australia's net run rate if they'd, they'd, they'd put the foot on the gas in that particular game. They've, they've played very erratic cricket from start to finish. Um, and what you saw today was another example of it, really. It was an innings that chugged along, didn't really go anywhere. Uh, until Maxwell did his thing, which again is all too rare for Australia's comfort, I think. Uh, and you could see the way that they walked off afterwards. They knew that, okay, they'd got away with one in as much as they'd at least got got two points on the board, having been 
close to to blowing up completely at one stage. I mean, halfway through Afghanistan's innings, they they were probably slight favourites. And when Rashid Khan was going hard, there was also the chance that, that Australia would implode completely. That said, just because they got over the line by a nose, you could see the way that they were reacting afterwards. And Maxwell's interview was very downcast. Now, the the huge asterisk against this is that if we're recording this show 24 hours later, Australia could be cock a hoop and thinking, all right, well, you know, we'll take on India in the semi and see where we go. Uh, as we've said on this show before, the, 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 the line from the start of a tournament to, the, to the, the, the winner's enclosure is never or very rarely a smooth and straight one. Uh, England still have to get that job done tomorrow and there's absolutely no guarantees that they're going to pull that off and no doubt we're going to come to that. But I would imagine... Looking at the body language among the Australian side, they feel like this one has slipped away from them. Mm. Yeah, Matt, I know you want to talk about the approach and also just like the net run rate stuff in general, which was a bit silly, I guess. Everyone was talking about this 106 number, which wasn't actually the number that Australia needed to get past. I mean, obviously, the fewer they kept Afghanistan to, the better. Uh, and then for a moment, it seems as if Afghanistan might get bowled out between then and 118, which was the actual number would have brought net run rate into play. But still, it kind of felt as if Australia were maybe kind of like once that had got slipped that was almost where they kind of they basically lost focus in a way I guess and also that they kind of failed to manage net run rate almost throughout obviously the competition but this game as well when they you know they could have gone harder and they could have gone for the kill earlier and back themselves to win the game come what may I suppose. Yeah I, I suppose it's a strange one in that um, you know if they'd gone about the game in a sort of hugely gung-ho way we might be sitting here sort of you know um criticizing the fact that they went way too hard and they lost to Afghanistan and knocked themselves out when they could have you know backed Sri Lanka to win tomorrow which is eminently possible um you know even even a sort of extremely one-sided looking t20 game on paper you can always expect an upset but Sri Lanka are a pretty strong side and won the Asia Cup earlier this year so they clearly have a decent chance of beating England um what I would say is I, I would agree that Australia probably didn't um go for the kill and I, as Phil was saying actually about Stark I think you know much as he's not been brilliant in T20 cricket of late if you're looking at it as a one-off game where um you, you know the best way to to restrict a side and, and blow them away I guess is to take new ball wickets to leave out someone who bowls at 145 k's and swings the new ball uh, in favour of someone who mainly bowls at the death in Kane Richardson and is that much slower it does seem like a really odd call and I think you know the general reaction around it um seems to sort of concur with that view I think um but yeah it was strange it, it kind of felt like it felt very much throughout David Warner's innings like he was very conscious of going very very hard and wanting to turn every single into two every two into three take on every overthrow that was on offer and he was a little bit frenetic at times but clearly was was um pretty focused on uh on on getting Australia to you know towards a, a score like 200 and setting the tone for that I thought there were just some weird calls through the middle like um obviously Smith was sort of effectively forced to play because of the fact that they had two injured batters but I thought sending him in at four when you had Stoinis and Maxwell in the sheds behind him was a slightly strange call given um what Australia actually needed in the game you know Maxwell faced 32 balls and was not out at the end and you think He's probably one of their most explosive players. Could he not have come up slightly higher and just had access to more of the innings? Um, and yeah, with the ball, they sort of, I, I don't know, I, did, I never really felt as though they were attacking enough to bowl Afghanistan out cheaply. And I think it was one of those strange things of not quite knowing exactly what they needed to do, which meant that they, uh, therefore, it was sort of neither one thing nor another. Um, but yeah, I, I do think, 
I do think it's worth sort of saying as well that it is, it is a major disadvantage, and I'm quite surprised to be honest that it's it's worked out that the hosts didn't play the last game of the group stage because um, I feel as though that would be a, a completely justifiable thing to happen in an ICC event is that given there is such an advantage of playing last because you know exactly what, what you need to do. You know, England don't need to know that they can go into tomorrow's game not needing to worry about whether they win in 18 overs or 10 overs or by 10 runs or by 30 runs. They just need to win the game and they're through. And as a result, that that's a that's a huge advantage over the situation Australia were in. So I don't know whether there's a, you know, I don't realistically think there's any prospect of uh, the format changing. So you play all three group games or, or all of the last round of group games simultaneously, just because I don't think it works from a sort of broadcast point of view. But it does seem a little bit odd to me that, um, yeah, Australia have been handed such a such a major disadvantage given their hosts. Yeah, absolutely fair call. Uh, you, I just want a little, a little nod to David Warner's bizarre dismissal mm-hmm. uh, just before we, we we leave this game alone. And look in brackets, if England do get over the line tomorrow, the post mortem of Australia's botched World Cup campaign doesn't doesn't really register with what's happened today. It happens in previous weeks. I think it happens in previous games. Uh, th- that New Zealand game will will go down in, in legend if England do get over the line tomorrow. You know, um, That's a real epoch-marked game for, for New Zealand. And going through that Australian side, by the way, you do wonder if there will be a sort of a shifting of the guard. Now, I know Matthew Wade is, has been an outstanding finisher in the last 12 months or so, but he's, he's creaking a little bit. As a as a cricketer, Steve Smith is a weird sort of carbuncle now in on their their top four or five. It doesn't really make much sense that he he retains his place in that side. I know they've had a couple of injuries, hence why he's playing today. That said, you do feel like there will be an expectation that they will shift and change uh, change tack a little bit. You know, they 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 picked their test squad and won it last year. They've done something relatively similar this time round. Um, I think there will have to be a change of, of emphasis, I think, in their game. But anyway, look, just on the Warner thing, very briefly, folks, if you have not seen it, go and watch it. Just when you think you've seen everything in the game of cricket, something else throws itself up. David Warner is a very left-handed batsman. We know that he has a great switch hit in his locker. But what he decided to do this time around, I think he got to 20-odd. Mm-hmm. He turned around to, to play the switch hit, got duped by a slower ball and ended up trying to sort of push it right-handed into the covers and missed an off-cutter to be bowled top of off stump. Utterly bizarre. Well, top top of leg stump top in a way. Top of leg stump. Like, Sorry, it was, yeah. Really, yeah. It, it was a, I, I always get scrambled with the offs and the legs it, when, it was, when it we're pushing things around. It obviously did look silly when you're not defending it and then it bowls you. It was a really good piece of bowling. It to, was superb because he To adjust that him. quickly to bowl what's a brilliant ball to a right-hander, basically. For sure. And perhaps Naveen Ilhaq delivered it. Perhaps in the, the fullness of time, we need to credit the bowler rather than Lampoon Warner. But it's so much more tempting and delicious to go with the latter option on that. But yeah, look, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's very odd. He looks like a very bad right-handed number nine just trying to to, to get off the mark uh, and being being upended rather foolishly. Yeah, he did once bat right-handed during a BPL game, just he took took guard right-handed. Um, sure, I know. And, but, and yes. famously, you know, he, he launched one on, on his debut, didn't he, 80-odd yards. I'm not saying he can't do it right-handed, but when you, when you end up just looking a little bit flimsy and a bit timid, pushing into the offside, uh, having switched yourself around, it can look quite funny. Um, look, let's leave that game alone, yeah. Ben, because let, it, yeah, it, won't, it won't leave much mark uh, on, on this tournament, I don't think. Okay, um, well, let's talk a bit about England and that game tomorrow then. Uh, so Sri Lanka are now out. England know they just need to win 
to go through. Uh, Phil, does does that does that benefit them, or is that sort of cod psychology? Right. So we're we're into kind of naff sporting cliche corner, aren't we? Because mm-hmm. you 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 had a big grin on your face, thinking, okay, you know, I understand the way these things work. It was good that Australia won the game, albeit only by a small margin. Because then, what Sri Lanka turn up tomorrow and think, oh well, I can't be asked with this. Let's you know sod this for a game of soldiers. Exactly that. Yeah. Sure. It doesn't work like that. It's the bat and the ball. To think that that when you're playing in front of a full a full house or a f- relatively full house uh, with a seriously vociferous Sri Lankan contingent in at Sydney under lights against the English in your final game of a tournament where they've 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 flickered and done okay. Uh, to think for a second that uh, they're going to be indifferent to the outcome of that cricket match, I'm not having that cliche. I'm just, I'm just, I just don't see it like that. You could easily argue the toss one way or t'other as well. You could say, okay, well, it, it releases them up because there's not that much pressure on it. You know, it, it, this is not a state occasion for Sri Lanka's crickets, cricketers, and so perhaps they can, they can just loosen the shoulders rather than tense up. Come the, come the, you know when we're down the pipe of whatever happens in this game tomorrow. So I don't really think that plays much of a, of a role. I think it comes down to who, who performs on the day. Mm. And, uh, and obviously Chris Silverwood, uh, the grudge match as well, Matt. The Spoons Derby, as he called it earlier. Is that right? Spoons, the Spoons Redemption Derby. Yeah, it's going to be quite <laughs> something. I actually, out of all people, I was on a Zoom call with Paul Farbrace this morning, who's obviously been in exactly the same um, position as an Englishman coaching Sri Lanka. Um, and he was sort of very clear and, and obviously worked with Chris Silverwood um, during their England days as well, when Silverwood was bowling coach and Farbrace was assistant coach. And we sort of, it was very clear that it's, um, you know, it's one of those where much as um, there'll be a few comments and it'll be nice to see some familiar faces and that sort of thing. He was pretty clear that Silverwood will be uh, very determined to to get one over on uh, on England and not so much prove a point because I think he's he's still quite well respected within the England camp despite the sort of um, obvious the nature of the the way his his tenure ended in the Ashes last winter. But um, just to sort of you know remind people that he's a he's a pretty good coach and um, despite the fact that it, it didn't didn't work out for him with England, that's not to say he's uh, he, he can't do well with Sri Lanka. But yeah, I think he'll be a um, like Phil says, I think it'll be a very good game. It sounds like it's going to be a used pitch at the SCG, which is sort of traditionally the most spin-friendly uh, venue in Australia, I think. And uh, Sri Lanka obviously have a, pr- a couple of pretty gun spinners in Tikshana and Hasaranga. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a, there's been a certain level of assumption probably today when working out um, scenarios that uh, Australia had to win because England probably will win on Saturday, but I don't necessarily see it that way. I think England will still have to play pretty well. Um, and, and their tournament so far, they've they've very much blown hot and cold. They, um, you know, bowled well and batted poorly against uh, Afghanistan, bowled poorly and batted poorly against Ireland, and then batted well and bowled well against New Zealand. So they're sort of a 50% hit rate at the moment. Um, and we'll be hoping that they can glue both parts together um tomorrow and scrap into the semis but yeah i suppose it's it, it's got to the point where it's relative it's been sort of relatively similar and i think people have drawn comparisons already to the, the 2019 50 over world cup where um you know having had that stumble it suddenly all became very clear that you just need to win three or four games in a row three at this point for england um having beaten new zealand and and that's that's all you need to do and i think that will hopefully um free some players up and uh yeah hopefully uh, I, I think it, it should be a, it should be a, a tight game. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's in any way in the bag. Um, and I think if England's middle order get a little bit too excited by boundaries that they can actually see on the horizon rather than at the MCG where it's absolutely miles away and they think okay well you know it's it's, it's time to flex these you know these well-honed muscles of ours again then they could come unstuck if they go too hard too soon especially if they bat first that that to me would be the concern um I would like to see them chase actually tomorrow uh, I think there are they're overall a better chasing side I think they can do it both ways but but I would prefer in a in a real pressure game when you know what you need and you can you know be led by Butler and he can adapt accordingly to what's required. Personally, I would prefer to see them chase tomorrow. Um, and whether they chase or whether they set, just don't go too hard too soon. Don't don't be completely beholden to this this philosophy in capital letters that they have emblazoned across every dressing room that they walk in. This is how we do it. Just be a wee bit careful, I think, tomorrow because they could come unstuck if they go too hard too soon. Mm, yeah, and it's that spin attack that really scares me. I feel like that might be the best spin attack in the world, unless I'm forgetting someone. Uh, I think it probably is Hasranga and Tikshana. Also, uh, some very useful seamers as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. K- Kamara is, is, is an outstanding seamer, I think. Um, and yeah, so... They are a very, very dangerous side. Batting-wise, Mendes has played quite nicely. Um has done okay at a kind of slowish, slightly sluggish strike rate, but he's got runs here and there. Uh, their middle order hasn't really clicked yet. So so I think that the first third of England's bowling innings will be will be key to how they go. Um, Hasaranga is a destructive number 6-7, but he hasn't got going yet in this tournament with the bat. Uh, but look, they are dangerous. No doubt they're dangerous from top to bottom. Mm, well, let's talk about the other game that happened today. Uh, New Zealand beat Ireland by 35 runs to uh, book their place in the semi-finals. Matt, when people were sort of previewing this tournament, New Zealand were perhaps, even though the finalists last time around, were maybe a, not not too, not people saying they're out of it, but probably a dist, like a, a third favourite to go through. They're now the first team to qualify for the semis, unless England win by like 125 runs, they'll be top of the group. Uh, they always do this, don't they? They uh, they turn up at icy events and and pull something together and are always kind of more competitive and best than people sort of think they're going to be. I suppose. Yeah, I think it's the um, I think it's the third time in a row they've they've qualified for the semis of the T Twenty World Cup, and despite the fact that you know they don't have a um, I guess franchise style tournament at home, um, and despite the fact that they um yeah I, i'm sort of pretty used to being low expectations going into these events or you know may, maybe their their own expectations probably aren't that low but as in i think it's quite an easy thing in the, in, for media to say they look all right but um sort of plucky underdogs but yeah they, they probably deserve to um be slightly above that status and especially with um kane williamson scoring some runs at a, a decent clip today i think that's a um a, quite a, a, a big thing for them and i think there'll be a um a dangerous team heading into the semi-finals. Um, that said, you know, I, I, I think they're, they're, they're a side that, um, it, having having sort of said that the media always write them off, I think they, they could well be the weakest of the four semi-finalists as a guess to it in terms of, I think the other the other semi-finalists would probably be saying we'd rather play New Zealand than um, potentially an England team who have won two in a row. So it's, um, it's, it, it's a slightly tricky um tricky team to analyze i think because i think they're you know i think they 
um player sort of i think they, they i think to be fair one of the things i would say about new zealand is i think they're probably one of the most adaptable teams in terms of mm. being able to play a lot of different styles of cricket so they have uh, obviously finn allen always goes really hard at the top but then through the middle they have quite a few adaptable players i think particularly conway and phillips have, have both shown during the world cup how, how good they are as t20 batters and i think we'll probably um fetch pretty good good ipl money in the future um because of the fact that they you know both of those guys have grown up playing on um, well, Conway less so, but both of those two played domestic cricket at home on tiny grounds and then coming to this World Cup have played on massive ones and have, have run really well, used the gaps, worked twos, but both have the power to score boundaries as well. So I think, um, yeah, I think they're a dangerous side, but I think, uh, yeah, they just looked like a fairly clinical win against Ireland this morning. Mm. Phil, Kane Williamson hit 61, uh, went 6-4-6 to get past half centuries, his highest score since the last T20 World Cup final. Is he back? Did he ever leave? Uh, he, he struggled for two years in T20 cricket. Um, at domestic level, it's been agonising at times to watch him. Um, he's a big match player, though. He's a big tournament player. And as we said the other day, when he made 40 from 40, and it was argued on our show whether it was actually good for New Zealand when he got out at that point against England. I didn't personally see it like that, because even though he, he would have liked to have been 50 from 40, he was still doing a sensible job in the slipstream of Glenn Phillips at the time. He could have easily ended up with 65 from 45 in that, in that innings, just as you saw in the, in the, the final last year, right? You know, when he, when he played a, a one-man show. He, he probably needed that knock today for sure. Uh, um, and it will probably keep, make him inwardly, not that he gives any, any information outwardly, but inwardly he'll probably f- be feeling a little bit better about life, having loosened his shoulders a little bit. Um, I hear what Matt's saying. By a nose, they're per- perhaps the weakest of the of the, the expected four, but only by a nose, really. You saw the two spinners against England. They went at a run of ball against England. Um, they have obviously two all-timers um, who, who take the new ball. And okay, you know, you know, Salvi is not Bumrah for sure, but they know their way around any form of cricket. They have Lockie Ferguson, who's a potential match winner as well, and they have a very adaptable batting lineup. Devon Conway is one of my favourite players around in the game, and he's and since that astonishingly good ninety odd against Australia, he's only really flickered. But look, they can beat anybody on their day. That's why this tournament is so so much fun, because you are really throwing the cards up in the air come the semi-finals and seeing which ones land. Mm, yeah, and Santner bowled really really well today, actually. Uh, and he's when you talk about adaptability, he's really clever in terms of how much he mix up his pace. Like some of his balls were really slow, uh, and Arn didn't really know what to do. And, and when we were talking about the uh, the England win against New Zealand, talking about England's batting and saying like, "Oh, why don't they just go harder at him?" He is he is quite a hard bowler to attack. Like I think uh, you, you might struggle if you just try and hit him out of the park from ball one. Um, uh, but on Ireland, uh, I guess the highlight for them was. Josh Little Josh taking Little, one a hat-trick. Yeah, depending on how you feel about Curtis Campus four and four, they've taken either thirty three percent or forty two percent of all T Twenty World Cup hat tricks in a uh, in history. Um, and there you go, there you go, Matt. This is this is this is what this is why we have to just you know bow down to to the man's superior geekery. That <laughs> yeah. is extraordinary, even for your standards, Gardner. But I have you, to say. you you like the look of Josh Little? Felt. I do very much. Yeah, obviously he was a. He was, I mean, probably Rollers interviewed his dad three years ago. But, you know, to, to me, I, I'd never heard of him before this summer. And he turned up uh, and, and tore it up in, in the 100. Um, he's a very, very uh, likeable bowler. Um, he's got a very nice action, very straight lines, left arm, got a bit of pace and a bit of height. 
uh, and he and he picked up a, a quality hat trick today. You know, okay, Williamson was caught on the boundary, but then the two lefties came in, Nisham and Santner. Uh, and he cleaned them both up, beat them both for pace, hit them on the back leg, and they were both taken up, out middle and off. The boy can clearly bowl. Um, and what you're seeing with Ireland, I think, uh, in in Tecta and in Balburnie and in the other lad whose name I forget, which is just like Tecta. Tucker. Tucker, thank you. You can keep that in. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> um, you're seeing, and Mark Adair as well, you're seeing, and McCarthy. These are cricketers who many of whom, with the exception maybe of Balburnie, we didn't really know too much about them, say, five years ago. And there was a sense that with Irish cricket, that they were losing that goldenish era, that it was beginning to fade a little bit. Well, what we're seeing is that while they might not have a huge swathe of, of talented cricketers that they can pick from, depth-wise, they might not be where they would like to be and where I genuinely think they will be in 10 years. But they're still bringing talented cricketers through that can compete at this level. They've... They, They've played some really good cricket. They won that game against England fair and square and they've pushed other teams quite closely. They lost today by, what, 25-30, chasing 180. Um, if Sterling had fired a bit more, they'd have won another game or two as well. Uh, they, they absolutely deserve their place in the short formats. They completely deserve their place on the top table. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, we've been seeing it. You know, as, as Matt likes to say, you know, the T20 democratises the game and we're seeing it week after week, day after day. Yeah, it's been hard for me to work out how to how to summarise Ireland's campaign because, as you say, look, they, they beat England, obviously that's great, and they pushed another couple of teams close, but then one winning the Super 12s. And I guess the, 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 the thing that the, com- the complication is, they went into today with a massive win that, that could have pushed them into the semi-finals, possibly. Uh, and then with any sort of win... Uh, that can get them into the into the top four and get the more sabbatical qualification for next time. And as it is, they're now probably going to have to uh, to qualify for next uh, the 2024 event uh, and have it'll be pro- unless Netherlands do themselves and Ireland a favour tomorrow. It'll be two of Netherlands, Ireland, and Scotland uh, who go to that event. So as, as much as they deserve their place, and they obviously do, uh, we could well be in a position where they're not at the next T20 World Cup without much fault of their own. All hail the ICC. Mm, it's an yes. absolute joke that I think it's worth dwelling on that, the idea that one of those three teams having, you know, all that they've provided us with this tournament. Um, you look at Scotland versus Scotland beating West Indies, then um, Netherlands having their own sort of famous wins and, and getting through the group stage and all this sort of thing. It's like the idea that none of those are going to add anything to the next tournament and one of them has to miss out um, so that you can have an extra place for some you know, for another associate. And, you know, I, I would I would have everyone in as, po- as as many teams in as possible to be honest. I'd want the World Cup as big as possible. But yeah, the idea that none of those three are in the top 20 teams and should be at the World Cup, I think is an absolute joke. But yeah, diplomatically put, it's a load of old bollocks. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good place to end it. Uh, join us tomorrow when we'll be looking at either England's dreadful T20 World Cup campaign coming to a close or their inevitable march to the title. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers for coming, Matt, by the way. Thanks for being on that. Um, what a day. Paul Farbrace in the morning, Ben and Gardner in the afternoon, and then on the same seven-a-side team as me this evening. I'll see you later. <laughs> it's actually a dream. <laughs> Cheers, Dad.
Podcast Network.